I just want to tell you a story how the Lord was working in me about this message today. Um, I am not pointing at you by my finger being like this. My, I, uh, <laughs> I got a rash this week that on my face, an allergy rash that I've been having for the last year, but I hadn't had it for six months. And all of a sudden it came on my face again. I have no idea why. You know, it's just like I've gone through thousands of tests and dollars, and I was free for six months, and then it came back. So um, thankfully, the elders prayed for me. I did a little treatment, and now it's gone. But meet, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, praise the Lord. I don't look flustered while I talk to you. Um, but so I had a doctor's appointment because of that. Meanwhile, I was chopping sweet potatoes, and I cut my finger. And, you know, you never know how deep it is. You're just seeing a ton of blood. And I'm like, no, I'm crying so hard. And the doctor was really validating. He was like, you cut all the nerves in your, like, it's not, I didn't have to get stitches. We're like, right there is where all the nerves are. That's why it was so painful. I was like, okay. Um, so if you think I'm pointing at you, I just can't bend my finger. Um, so then while I was in the doctor's office, I was like, hey, like last week my toe really hurt. Like, I don't know. <laughs> this is real. I don't know. Like, do I have like an ingrown toenail or something? He's like, oh, yeah, you have a fungus in your nail. I was like, what? Do you do pedicures? Well, I'm like, I mean, everyone. Yeah, you, anyone who does pedicures is probably going to get this fungus. I was like, what, dude? So I said, I'm dealing with real first world problems today. I can't wear makeup on my face. I can't get pedicures ever again. And I can't chop my own food. <laughs> so what I'm going to have to... <laughs> so I, at that point, I just wanted to watch TV. You know? <laughs> I wanted to forget all my troubles. <laughs> the fact that I couldn't do anything uh, with this finger and watch TV. But I didn't want to because I had the message churning in my heart and I didn't want anything else like in my mind, you know, while I was brewing what he was doing. So I, um, I decided to put the message into practice, you know? And I began to worship him through a song called Feeling Low by Will Regan. Like that's how low I felt, it was so lame. And immediately I just remembered that my sister-in-law asked me to pray for her because she was going to be induced that day and our nephew was going to be born. So I just began to pray for them and I wrote out a text of prayer and she responded. She's like, it's going well so far. We're three hours in. Thank you so much. I miss you. And she's on my Oikos map, right? So as I was feeling so low, as I worshiped the Lord, none of it was gone. It's still happening to me, except the rash on my face, actually. Uh, he helped me. He helped me bless my sister-in-law. And so I just, there's, even in these really minor things, it's, it's going to be good to worship him. Can we pray as we go into this? <laughs> Lord, your love is better than life. We have to have you. We have to have you. We want to know what you're like. How, what are you like, God? that we could worship you no matter the circumstances, that you want to meet us even in the most trivial of things you want to be with us. We must have you. Would you help us today 
to worship you with our lives, embed us in your words, and make it alive to us. We have to have you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing our series on worship this morning, and uh, you know that I'm going to have a lot of scriptures for us to go through. (laughs) But it makes sense that we're going to be people of worship if we're in God's family in view of God's mercy, right? Therefore, in view of God's mercy, no, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. How are we going to worship him? Why are we going to worship him? That's what we're looking to find out. And um, one of the main things that we're looking at is that we were just made for this. It's a default response to our life in him. If we belong in his family, we're going to worship him. If we're in his family, we've <laughs> given our lives to him, we've received his life for us, we're, we're going to worship him. And I, I want to take a look and offer some people who have gone before us in the scriptures so that we can be certain and confident in this natural posture that we're going to have. The natural posture of worship. No, regardless of the situations, we're going to worship him. And so these people give us a testament and hopefully can inject into us some normalcy that worship is a default response to us who believe in him. Is that okay? So first up is Paul and Silas. So previously to this passage, um, there was a demon-possessed woman following them around this town, and she, the demon was giving her insight into the future. She was a fortune teller, and she was also a slave. So the people who owned her were making profits off of the demon that was fortune telling within her, right? So, (laughs) oh, easy morning. So this is where they find it. She is compelled to walk behind Paul and Silas as they're preaching the gospel, say, these people know the way to be saved. And she does it day after day. And then because of annoyance, Paul turns around and casts the demon out of her. Then the people who owned her weren't going to make money anymore because she could no longer tell the future without the demon. So they, this is where we find them. Um, the people of the city are really angry. <laughs> Ready? Acts 16, baby, let's go. Paul and Silas, we are made for worship. Okay, the tr- crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, and he fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. (laughs) Why were they worshiping? Why were they worshiping? They were stripped. They had freed a woman from a demon. Meanwhile, they're attacked. Everyone's yelling at them, you suck and you're destroying us. You, they were stripped, beaten with rods, severely flogged, thrown in prison, and their feet are shackled to a thing. 
And then the next thing they decide to do is praise and worship God. Why? What's their metric for when God's worthy of worship? What, what could they possibly have been thinking about who God is given their circumstances? Let's just pause for a moment. What possibly could have been their criteria for why they should have worshiped God in that situation? It's interesting, right? Doing God's will doesn't always mean we're going to be in great circumstances. They were in really bad circumstances while sharing the gospel. Okay, let's see what else happens. No! Go back! Jonathan, help me! Okay, thank you. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all those in his household. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And the jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal before them and he was filled with joy. Because he had come to believe in God, him and his whole household. Isn't that wonderful? You know, the next morning they released Paul and Silas. It almost is that this whole situation they were in was just to bring this guy to the Lord. If they had looked at the surface of things from the perspective of the world, everything certainly sucked, right? You know, and then it got better. They were released. All their they were free to go, but they didn't run out. Why didn't they run out of the prison doors? They were looking ahead to something more. They were looking to worship God with their lives. Their freedom didn't matter more to them than what the Lord was wanting to do, right? On the surface of things, this is going from bad to worse and then causing the death of a jailer, right? He's, he's about to kill himself. He says, hey, actually, the Lord wants to do something opposite. He wants to save you eternally, you and your whole household. The exact opposite thing happened, which was on the surface of things, to what the Lord wanted to do in his kingdom. The exact opposite, right? Next day, they're free to go. The guy bandages them. He sets a meal before them. If they hadn't worshipped God, their chains wouldn't come off. But they stayed. They stayed. The Lord wanted this guy in his household. And Paul and Silas worshipped him. They submitted their lives to him and said, I'll get in on your plan. Let's do this. It's of interest how Paul and Silas played out their lives. It's of interest to us. How are we going to live? 
are the things like our freedom mattering more than what the Lord's wanting to do in that place? Right there, where they were in prison, the Lord wanted to use them and capitalize on it. And they worshiped him by offering their lives. They didn't negate that they were in jail. They didn't say, we're good to go. Our life is awesome. They're bleeding out while chained. Their ankles are chained. They didn't negate that. They still worshiped him. They capitalized on it. It's wild, right? Okay, another story of the people who've gone before us who worshiped God is Ruth. We'll just start, this whole book of the Bible is about her, so we'll just start it off. Now, Elimelech was Naomi's husband, and he died. And she was left with her two sons. And they married Moabite women, and one was named Orpha. <laughs> one was named Orpha and the other Ruth. And after they have lived there about 10 years, both of her sons died. And Naomi was left without her sons and without her husband. Things aren't going well, right? Naomi is destitute. She doesn't have sons. She doesn't have a husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home to Bethlehem from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's homeland. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. So don't go with me. They started their journey. Like, my life is going poorly, but you guys don't have to stay with me. She said, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. I want you guys to be married. Don't stay with me. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? <laughs> return home. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if there's, there's no hope for me, even if right now I had a husband, right now gave birth to a son, are you really going to wait for him to mature so you can marry him? No. My daughters, it's more bitter for me than it is for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She's saying nothing's going to go well if you follow me. Even God's against me, right? But look what happens. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law and said, Goodbye, I'll, he I'll heed your advice. I'll leave. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods, and you should go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. So this is the place that Ruth finds herself is she's a foreigner, a Moab, which is like, no. Um, 
no, we're, we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna play with Moab's. This isn't good for her. She's going into a place that it's an opposition against her, her people, right? She doesn't have her gods. She doesn't have her home. She doesn't have a husband. She's barren. She doesn't have children. And she's completely poor. She's completely poor just with her old mother-in-law. And that's what her life is as she get, arrives in Bethlehem. And she has absolutely no prospects that that would ever change for her. That's what Naomi is saying to her. Nothing's going to change for you if you stay with me. You're going to be poor and without a husband, and you're never going to have kids. You want to stay with me? Because it's never going to change. And she declared that God would be her God in the midst of that. She said, oh, these, these gods I've been worshipped and was raised to worship, I want to choose to worship your God. Even though Naomi was saying, my God's against me. Things have gone bad for me following God. She said, I'm going to choose to serve you. I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to worship your God and not the gods I grew up with. Isn't that wild? Why would she do that? Why would she possibly do this? She decided to be faithful to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law is coming on the scene in Bethlehem. They knew of her, and this is what it says. The whole town was stirred because of them. A Moab, Naomi's back. And she exclaimed, can this be Naomi? And they, she said, don't, call, don't even call me that. Call me Mara, because life is so bitter for me. The Almighty has made life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord's afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi turned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, and she arrived there before the barley harvest was beginning. So Naomi's embracing her situation. She's not denying it. She's saying, this is the reality of my situation. Life sucks for me, right? She's not sugarcoating anything about this to everyone who's asking. She's saying, I'm in a bad, bad, bad space. And so here's super poor Ruth. She decides, they come in on the harvest, and she decides, like the poor people would do, is glean in the fields that the people have left behind some things for the poor people to get, right? So they can have some food. And so that's what she begins to do. And she ends up doing it in the field of one of Naomi's distant relatives who has favor on her, who shows her kindness, gives her, drops more food along the way. And then, da, 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 here's some chapters. Naomi tells her, hey, why don't you, why don't you do this? And Ruth says, I'll do it because you told me to. And so this is the next scene. She goes to Boaz, who's the guy who owns the field. And this is what happens. When Boaz had finished eating, he was in good spirits. He went to lie down on the far end of the pile of grain. And Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. And in the middle of the night, something startled him. And he turned. And there was a woman lying. At, who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian, guardian redeemer of our family. And he said to her, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed me earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know you to be a woman of noble character. 
although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer, someone else is more, stay here, I'm going to work it all out. I, will, I won't rest this day until it's taken care of, right? She was a living sacrifice to God. She sacrificed everything she could have wanted if she had stayed in Moab, her homeland, to serve her mother-in-law, to serve a God she didn't know, and she was known in the whole town as someone who had great character. She worshiped God with her life. Even though her mother-in-law was testifying, God's not good to me, she still worshiped him with her life and found favor with this guy. So things go well, they get married, it's all sorted. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and then he made love to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And then the women said to Naomi, you should praise be to the Lord. You should praise God who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven He's better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. God allowed Ruth a Moab, which is despicable in and of itself, to be grafted into his family line. She worshiped and served God so much, though, that he said, I want to be your ancestor. God of all said, I want to be Ruth's ancestor, a Moabite. You worship me with your life. I want to be connected to you. I want to be joined with you forever. And look, because of what Ruth did, the people around started to praise God, right? The people around started to say, the Lord is good to Naomi, she said it was bitter, but things are going well for her. The Lord should be praised because he's done a miracle here. Next, we see that um, you guys know Mary, the mother of Jesus. Guile talked about her last month. But we have a lot to learn about how she worshiped God despite her circumstances. Look, you, we read this last time. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and he will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word of God will ever fail. And she said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. She worshiped God by submitting to what he wanted. This whole thing in the end was going to cause her a lot of pain, right? It was going to pierce her own heart. But she said, I'll accept what God wants. I'll submit to it. And not only that, I'll champion it. I'll rejoice in what God wants. And I'll worship I'll worship him with my life? Yeah. <laughs> so she worships him with his life, her life. At that time, Mary got ready. She hurried to a town in the hill country where her cousin, 
Um, she greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she proclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. And so not only does Mary worship him with her life by submitting to the plans God had, but then she sings songs of worship to her, to God right? That's what we're used to, singing songs of worship. She rejoiced in what he was offering to her. She worshiped him with her life, and then she sang a song. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has grown, done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, right? She worshiped him in the good things. Her cousin saying, you're blessed, you're carrying God. And she said, yeah, I'm gonna worship him. I'm gonna worship him and things are good. I'm gonna accept what's happening. And she chose to worship him. But not only did Mary worship God, but Jesus worshiped God, right? They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Have you ever been deeply distressed and troubled? So has Jesus. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I'm so troubled, distressed, and overwhelmed. Deep down in my soul, that's what I feel. He didn't negate that he felt that way. He told God that he felt that way. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to deny what's going on in our life. We can freely tell God, just like Jesus did. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, Everything is possible for you. I know you can do this. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He worshiped God with his life. He said, I'll choose what you want, and I'll worship you with my life. I'm in deep distress. I'm not negating that, and I'll still, I'll still worship you. In the middle of this, in the middle of the deepest sorrow deep in my soul, I'll worship you. He submitted to God. He gave up his rights and what he wanted for what God wanted. And he was blessed. It says later he was exalted to the highest place, right? That's why we worship him. So what we're asking this morning is why are we worshiping God despite the situations we're in, despite the circumstances we're facing, and the reason is because we were made to worship regardless of our situations. They, all these people that have gone before us, you can read many more, right? They had a natural response to all of life. In joy and in suffering, we're going to worship God. 
He's worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our worship. And also, something else had to be there, right? They had to see something beyond the surface of things that enabled them to worship God. They couldn't just say, everything sucks. We love you. They had to see something that was beyond, I'm chained in prison, I'm poor, destitute, no spouse, my husband died, I'm here with my mother-in-law in a foreign place. There had to be something more than the surface of those things. just want to show some scriptures that can highlight this wild way of life that we can praise God despite the circumstances we're going through. We can actually have it be our default response. And it's not just, here's some heroes of our faith. Right now in this room, there's people who are suffering. There's people who have lost children to death, and they're here in this room to worship God with us. There's people right now who are dealing with not only toenail funguses, but serious, serious diseases, right? And they're here. They've come to this place to worship God despite their circumstances. There's people here with severe mental illness, and they're here to come and worship God despite the suffering and the anguish they're facing. All of those things are truly happening to the people you're sitting next to. But we're here in this room to worship God. This isn't a far-off thing. This isn't something Jesus did that we can't model. Not only can we model it, but we're modeling it right now. Or the people around you are modeling it to you. Why can it possibly be the case that we could worship him despite our circumstances? Well, we can look at we can look at his mercy again. Because of his mercy, we can offer our bodies as living sacrifices, right where we are, living in our present circumstances, as a single person, as a widow, as a married person that can't get pregnant, as a a widower, whatever station of life, whatever disease is tormenting me, we can worship God in view of his mercy. We can live in the present and worship God. We can live in the present and lay down our lives to worship him. We can offer our living bodies exactly what we're going through right now, and we can worship him. But one way they were able to is the second verse. Verse 2, I added in, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Right? If we conform to the pattern around us, we'll see things as they are on the surface. In this this world, one plus one equals two, right? What about in Ruth's case? Zero plus zero equaled a thousand. Right? The math is off in the kingdom of God. What's on the surface isn't all there is. (laughs) We're looking to something more. This kingdom that we're living in now is coming to nothing. It's a broken system all around us. It wears on us, right? We yearn for something more, and there's something more coming. 
And that's what we can see beyond conforming. This is all there is. And getting caught up in a swirl, we can look to him. We can look to him even in our suffering. Okay, look at this in Hebrews. It's crazy. You know, Hebrews 11, he starts listing all the other people I didn't even list. Abraham, da, 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 da. all the people who've gone before us filled with faith beyond what their circumstances were saying. Listen to what it says about him, them. All of these I've mentioned, they died in faith without ever seeing the fulfillment of their promises. All the people I've mentioned and more, they died in faith without ever seeing the full promises, although they saw the fulfillment as though in the distance. These people accepted and confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on earth because people who speak like this make it plain that they are still seeking a homeland, right? If we nestle up here, we're stuck in the math. One plus one equals one. I sin, I'm going to pay for it, I'm going to die. I'm damaging myself and others. If I'm caught in this swirl, we know where that ends. If I'm looking to a homeland beyond this life, that's where I'm going to reside. That's where I'm going to live. If this was only a bit of nostalgia for a time, a place they left behind, then certainly they might have turned around and returned to it. They said, ah, oh, this is nice with God, but we're good back here, you know? Then you can go back there. But those people, those saints, saints meaning the people of God, your saints, your saints, but the saints, these kind of saints who knows this isn't their home, they're not nestling in here, they're nestling in God. But such saints as these look forward to a far better place, right? A heavenly country. And so God is not ashamed to be called their God because he's prepared a heavenly city for them, right? There's something more than what we can see with our eyes, what we're experiencing here, right? Look how, look how Paul says it here. We know that if our earthly house, our human body, our living body, a mere tent that can easily be taken down is destroyed, we will then live in an eternal home in heaven. We know even if we're destroyed, we'll live eternally in heaven. A building crafted by divine, not human hands. Currently in this tent of a house, we continue to groan and ache with deep desire to be sheltered in our permanent home because then we will be clothed and comfortable right? We ache and long. Don't you ache and long for things to be a way you've never seen them to be, right? Heaven is calling us. It's what we have in him is better. Anything he's asking us to suffer or give up, something more is better that he's asking us to engage with. He's saying, I want to embrace you living just as you are, whatever state you're in, whatever season you're in, that's where I want to be with you. And I want to embrace it with you and show you something more, something that is coming, right? We think about that all the time. We, we do this all the time. You ever ran a marathon? Never, I have, no. You have, right, Chris? <laughs> We do hard things, right? We go through a degree program. We're looking to the end. Day after day, we're writing papers. Day after day, we're staying up late studying for some, a reward coming, 
for something that's more than what's on the surface of things. Not this paper, but this degree and what I'll do with it later, right? Why would you run eight hours on a Saturday? You're preparing for something. You're preparing. <laughs> Paige, I love you. You're, <laughs> You're preparing for something greater, right? Something coming. Okay. The fact is that in this tent, we anxiously moan, fearing the naked truth of our reality. What we crave above all is to be closed. So that's what's temporary, this world and this life, is temporary. And mortal can be completely swallowed up in life. The one who's worked and tailored us for this is God himself, who has gifted us his spirit as a pledge towards our permanent home in him. He has a guarantee inside of us. He is coming back for us. This is temporary and he is coming. We can rejoice in him. We can worship him because this isn't the end of the game. And he sealed it. He, he didn't want us to say, here, you know, it, it's coming, good luck. He deposited his very self in us to guarantee that there's more than what we can see. There's more than what we're living. It's a guarantee. There's more than what you can see with your eyes, feel with your emotions. It, there's something more. It's God himself. And then he wraps this up. This is going to really help us. In light of this, we live with a daring passion, and we know that our time spent in the body is also time we're not present physically with the Lord. The path we walk is charted by faith, not by sight. So if we're consumed by what we can see, it's, it's going to be hard because that's only one part of the variable of what's going on. There is no doubt that we live with a daring passion, but in the end, we prefer to be gone from this body so that we can be at home in the Lord. But listen to this. Ultimately, it doesn't matter whether we're here or gone. Our purpose stays fixed, and that's to please the Lord. That's to please the Lord. We can worship him despite anything going on. We don't have to negate it. We can embrace it, bring it to the Lord, and we can stay focused on pleasing him. He is awesome. He set us free from sin and death. He set us free from eternal death and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And he keeps giving us more and more of his benefits. But it's going to be normal for us to worship him when we suffer. It's going to be normal for us to suffer. But we're fixed on him. We're fixed on him. So we were made for worship. These people before us had a natural response to all of life, in joy, in suffering. We're going to worship him. And they could see something beyond the surface. Right? What, what's our metrics? What's, how are we determining whether or not we can worship God? Is it when this happens? Is it when I'm able to have a baby? Is it in, you know, I, I've been dealing with infertility for six years. I'm not able to, right now to have one. I'll keep praying to the Lord. But is it when I have a baby that I could worship God? Is it when I find my spouse I could worship God? Is it when I am relieved of this chronic pain I can worship God? What's our metrics? 
I, I genuinely used to think this when I first believed. I used to think when I had a car, then I could tell people the gospel because I could meet them for coffee at a coffee shop. I, I, I truly thought that. If I have a car, then I can worship God with my life and tell people the truth about who he is. There are traps that hinder us from worshiping him. They prevent us. They prevented me. When I was sitting there with my bloody finger, with my toe fungus, worshiping, I I began to be in self-pity. I began to feel sorry for myself and think, people get pedicures all the time, and they never get a nail fungus. People wear a lot more makeup than me, and they don't get a face rash, you know? (laughs) I began to compare myself and feel prideful, right? They prevented me from worshiping God. I, have you ever, the sin of coveting, yearning for something that someone else has, these things are not for us to engage in. They're poisonous to us, right? Keeping other people in unforgiveness. I deserve more. I, you know, I'm not getting the benefit of the forgiveness of God. I'm holding others in unforgiveness. I'm poisoning myself from worshiping him. I'm short-sighted. I'm just thinking my finger is the be-all, end-all, that I'm in pain, right? These things can hinder and trap us. We need to search ourselves to be sure we can be pure-hearted. We can think in reality. We can think beyond these things. We can think beyond the values of this world that's saying, just look at the surface of things, right? But these are things that help us increase our default response. Do you want to be helped to have it be more of a default to worship God no matter what's going on? Okay, these things might help us as they did those who went before us. God was their vision and they wanted to please him, right? We're looking to Jesus. That's what we're after. Not a new car, not something in our bank account. We're looking to please Jesus, right? They wanted to be near him. Their circumstances, good or bad, they helped them to be near God because they weren't negating that they were in trouble. They weren't negating their life was hard. They weren't negating. Jesus wasn't negating that he was suffering to the point of death. He embraced it and brought it to the Lord. They were looking to a better heavenly home and reward. They were looking beyond the surface of things. And they had renewed their minds Romans 12, 2, don't conform to this pattern of this world. Don't compare yourself to the people around you. You've been set apart. You're in God's family. He's the one that takes care of you, and he'll direct you the way you should go. And they embrace their current life, and they turn to God. These are some things from real people who lived real lives, even people in this room. And I hope that these these things can help us. We can renew our minds in the scriptures, not be formed by the ideas, ideologies, cares around us, but we can be formed by God himself showing us a reality that is beyond what we can see here. You know? If this is all there is, we're really screwed. That's what Paul said to us. 
right? If this is all there is, we're to be pitied, but it's not. There's a guarantee of something more. I want to I wanna close with one more guy who went before us. This is a Psalm of David, and I think it's going to really pump us up. It's going to really pump us up to understand what's going on, how we can do it. Pump us up into reality that what we can see is just a part of all there is, but even in the midst of it, we can worship him. So Paul, or David, he's, it says, to the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, (laughs) of David, when he had fled from Saul into a cave. So he had fled his life. He's in a cave, away from his comforts, away from home, and murderers are still out to get him. That's the point at which he begins to write this song to God of worship. Are you ready to get pumped up? Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts here. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Look, they spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Right? He's freely acknowledging his difficult circumstances. And he says, I will make music to the Lord. I won't be stopped by these difficulties in my life. I'll say, help me, have mercy on me, deliver me. This sucks. This truly sucks. I will sing and lift you up, right? Can we lift up the Lord now? Could we lift him up through song and say, we will praise him. Whatever you're going through, we will praise him among the nations. Can we praise him for a moment through music?
want to repent today, you may have been comparing and coveting. You may have been in a trap that's prevented you. You may have been short-sighted, looking at the surface of things and thinking that was all there is. Can we repent and say, forgive me and free me from this kind of thinking. I want to worship you in any situation. You're worthy of my worship. I will sing and make music to you. Despite being in a cave with murderers outside my door, I will sing and worship you. Could you just offer any repentance you have? I'm sorry. I wish I hadn't done that. Would you forgive me? There's a line in the sand that says, I was focused on what I could see, but I want to focus on reality. I want to have you be my vision, and I want to find out what pleases you. Look, we were made for worship despite our circumstances all the people who've gone before us and the people in this room worship God despite what they were going through. They embraced those things of suffering, said, I'm, this sucks. God, you're worthy of worship. The people who have been born again into God's family, we live with the reality that God is with us, that he's better than our circumstances, and we are awaiting our heavenly home with him. Let's pray this together. Based on our Romans 12 passage, right? Offer today your living sacrifice. What I can offer the Lord today in my present situation is that for six years I've been unable to be pregnant, but I can worship him with my life today, right? What are you going through? Are you single with no prospect of marriage? You can worship him today. He's with you. He's in it. He knows it's hard. What? The diagnosis that you face. You can worship him today and be a living sacrifice. In what I'm facing right now, I worship you. Let's say this together. Father, in response to how much mercy you have given us, help us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. This is our true and proper worship. Amen. Let's pray for our Oikos maps, right? What, when Paul and Silas... They worshiped God. What's the next thing that happens? This guy and his whole household come to believe in God. It says he was filled with joy because he and his whole household had come to believe in God. Right? We want that for the people we know who are far from God. We want them to not see just the surface of things and think this is all there is. It's a terrible, terrible life without hope, far from God. Right? Think of the people you're around, the friends you have, the family members, your coworkers, people who are far from God that you work with at Q, that you see at QT, right? Let's pray this together with them in mind. Lord, 
I pray for the people in my life who are far from you. Deliver them from the evil one. Bring them into your family and help them to grow as your disciples. Amen. Love you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.